Revelation chapter 6, verse 5 tonight. And it is getting real. You know, as I go through this, one of my challenges, and maybe this is because of my wife, I don't know, but one of my challenges is to not freak you out. And I don't think, I, yeah, I, I don't think that way because I don't read this as scary. And I hope that that comes out as you hear the message that this is not something we need to fear. This is something we, we should be welcoming. And that God is not going to leave us. He will be involved. This isn't a surprise and this is not a scheme of man that's going on. This is a scheme of God that's going on around us. And one more time to reiterate, I don't know if we're in end times. I, th I feel we are, but I don't know that. I can't stand here and say, hey, you know, the world is coming to an end. It could happen in a hundred years from now, after we're all dead. Yeah, yeah. However, I do feel that there is a high probability that the patterns that we have seen throughout history, the reason we have a preterist view of the book of Revelation, that this stuff has all been fulfilled in the past, is because of these cycles. One of two things has to be happening. We are either in one of those cycles again, or this could be it. I think that the timing of this cycle is, you know, we're at the end of 6,000 years. A lot of people have believed that the end would come after 6,000 years because of each day of creation patterns a thousand years of history. And then at the end of that, you have a day of rest, which would be, you know, our, our Feast of Tabernacles and the... Uh, the, he, the Sabbath rest that Hebrews 4 speaks of. There's just so many things that are so unique in this time of history that all the other times of history, the cycles, it wasn't there. Israel is now a nation. That's huge. The prophecies of Scripture uh, that hadn't been fulfilled when great-grandpa was saying, hey, we could be in end times, it's like those things hadn't happened yet. One world government, that was just a, uh, they probably didn't even know what that meant. Even when I was in high school, I still remember a guy named Brian Domer talking about one world government, one world currency. I thought he was a little crazy. And now it is absolute uh, normal. It is what is in our newspapers and so on. And so regardless though, I think you should treat it as if this is it. I think that everybody in every generation should act as if this is it. Because it does put that urgency in our lives and it puts that uh, focus that we should have that causes us to evangelize, to not get distracted by the cares of this world and the, the things that this world has to offer. So, um, tonight in verse 5, we open up, we are looking at the third seal. Just to keep you, your timeline, 
we've already looked at the first and the second seal. The first seal was the white horse, which we said was the Antichrist. Now, I have been saying this so many years that I, I don't even catch myself, but I was talking with a friend of mine earlier this week, and I was saying, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Antichrist is revealed. We said that all the time, the white horse, the Antichrist is revealed. It doesn't necessarily mean revealed in the sense that you know who he is, but that that Antichrist has now been given the power, given the authority, given that crown to go and start raising havoc. And therefore, the white horse, it is possible, again, I'm not saying it is happening, but it is possible that that white horse could have already that, that first seal been broken. And the Antichrist has now been given the authority to go out and raise havoc. He could be one of these people behind the scenes of the puppet today. Okay? Now, after the white horse, after the Antichrist is given this power, the next one that we saw was a red horse. And we talked last week about that being war and communism could be a part of it. The scriptures don't say communism. It says war. But we know that that's what communism is about and everything that's described there, even the picture or symbol of communism as a red horse seems to fit. That we are being prepared to move into a communistic way of life. That's where we left off. And now, what does those two, or do those two seals bring? Because remember, these are not independent of one another. They build on each other. You don't get the war without the Antichrist bringing the war. You're not going to get the black horse without the red horse causing the black to come. So these build on one another. It's very important to understand that as well. It says this, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So what we're seeing here is the amount of wheat that you get is about a day's uh, pretty much a, a, a day's amount for a day's wage. So wheat and barley, very different. Wheat was the food for the rich. And it was typically food. Barley, that was typically for poor people and animals. And so that's what you would give your animals to eat. You didn't give them the wheat, that's for you. But they get the barley. Uh, both of these, though, are a necessity in times of famine. And the, what's being described here, a pair of scales in his hands, all of these things, scales are used for trading, for buying and selling. That's what this would be for. And so we see here that he had a pair of scales in his hand, this black horse. It's basically saying that your wheat, your barley is going to be affected and maybe your trading or, you know, how you buy and sell. Perhaps hyperinflation. 
this, this scales. Okay, these are words that scripture isn't using, I'm using those. But maybe that's what it is. I can tell you this, that we have not walked away from a trillion dollar stimulus package unscathed. Our government has handed out money right and left. And everybody thought, oh, free money, let's go spend it. Let's go buy our campers. Let's go buy everything. And now gas is almost $5 a gallon, or it is in some places already, over that. And we're going, oh, no, we're running out of money. Well, no kidding. We are not, the, the stimulus package that they did was not a help and what's happening is that the scales are in trouble. We see food, uh, the cost of it going up, food shortages do not look like they're going to get any better. As a matter of fact, everybody, I don't care if you're a liberal or a conservative, is telling you it's going to get much worse. It's interesting the price here. If you would take and transfer this to modern terms, as far as bread goes, the ratio of what they're charging for bread here is about anywhere from 12 to 16 times the cost of what it actually cost back then. So let's bring that to today's perspective. Let's say a, one of your higher dollar loaves of bread, well, that's not a high dollar, but a $3 loaf of bread. That means that that would be anywhere from 36 to $48 for a loaf of bread. A $5 loaf of bread, the more specialty stuff, 60 to $80 today. Now, what that tells me personally is this. Right now, that's not how much bread costs. The black horse has not been released. But if in a year, two years, or five years from now, we're seeing bread costing 30, 35 bucks a loaf, maybe even six months from now, then this is something that ought to make you go, whoa. One of the things that is very interesting to me is... The older I get and the more I've seen these prophecies come about is things, God works a lot slower than I expect him to. And I have seen too many prophecies come and go. Some of them clearly are wrong. Some of them I just don't think have been fulfilled yet. But... I have to kind of think, you know, I, I hear about, oh, Russia's doing this and China is doing that. We've got the stimulus package. We've got the shortages coming. I look at that and I think, man, by November, December, it could be rough. In reality, based on experience, it probably means two years from now. <laughs> to me, it seems like it's going to be quick, but I've seen that. COVID, I mean, I, I look back and I think it's already been over two years. Now, that all fits the white horse quite nicely. But in my mind, I kind of expected this to be, you know, maybe a, a month-long thing, and, you know, it's pretty well clear and laid out. I'm starting to think in a little bit broader picture where these things are a little bit longer in time. 
Now, interestingly, from a preterist perspective, which we're not going to get into too great a detail now, but we will down the road after you get a kind of a better view of the book of Revelation, we're going to go back and say, now let me explain to you, here's this time of history, they said this was the white horse. Here's this time of history, they said this was the red horse. And we'll give you that. But even their idea, it wasn't like a week and a week and a week and a week. It was stretched out. As a matter of fact, they have it stretched out through the last 2,000 years of history. Now, I don't think it's going to be that stretched out, but my point is, is it is possible that these horses could be a couple of years at a time, or the first one be a couple of years, and then it gets faster. But if, capital if, if COVID has anything to do with the white horse, then the red and the black will soon follow from it. Now, we call this idea uh, more of a midrash. That's what the Jews call it, midrashic uh, interpretation. And I'm going to give you some examples of that tonight. Now, before I do, one other thing I want you to see, too, is that uh, some of the things that have changed in the last couple of years. Uh, back in 2020, uh, the Federalist, uh, May 15th edition, said that there were 100,000 businesses that had closed their doors. Now, I remember when that came out, I remember saying, wow, you know, whoa, this could be it, right? Now here we are almost, well, two years later, and now we have as of, let's see, uh, June of 2021, 200,000 businesses have closed their doors. It got worse. So we're still feeling the effects, but they're saying now about 34% of businesses. Okay, so that's a, that, that, that has not, not affected us. Anyway, back to this Midrash. Anytime a Jew reads Old Testament or prophecy or any of that, they, they see it differently than we typically do here in the West. Now, Midrash never uses typology, these parallels, these examples, uh, these allegories as a basis for doctrine. Never. Rather, it's an illustration of the doctrines. But you don't get doctrine from allegorical or midrashic understanding. It, it enhances or, or interprets, or well, I, I don't want to say interpret, but it basically is just going to illustrate it. And I'll give you some examples that, that might make more sense. But we see prophecy, typically, when we read this red horse, well, one and done. They see there will be periods of history in the past that all are similar, that are going to lead up to the final fulfillment of it. So patterns that are recapitulated, basically. Now, Ezekiel 4, verse 17, before I go down this road too far, I want you to see this. It says, Son of man, I'm going to cut off the supply of food in Jerusalem. The people will eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed water in despair, for food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. Do I think that Ezekiel is talking about the exact same thing that we're reading here in Revelation? Yes and no. 
it is different. Here in Ezekiel, he was talking about Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was going to fall to the Babylonians, and that did indeed happen. Now we're seeing the same type of thing here in Revelation. Why? Because there are patterns that repeat themselves. Because all of them are going to point out to what it's going to be like in the end times. One of the things that we are going to see here as we'll get further down is that this isn't just Jerusalem that these horses are affecting. Ezekiel is talking about just Jerusalem. So I can't say it's identical thing happening. It's rather a midrashic understanding of what's going to happen, if that makes sense. Vladimir Lenin, communist, uh, he says, the surest way to overthrow an existing social order is to debauch the currency. This is the real reason why our presses are printing ruble bills day and night without rest. This is what Revelation has foretold, and this is what we are living out, and I think that you can see that our own government is desperately trying to debauch its currency. They do not want the American dollar to survive. This is a communist, you might say, handbook that they're following. That is where things are headed. Um, I don't know, I've talked about this before, I don't know if it was this study or others, but Revelation here is talking about this is going to affect every wage earner. You're going to see that. Whether you are rich or poor, it affects everybody. David Wilkerson in 1973 had a vision and of people that I would willing, be willing to put my stamp of approval on he is the only one that I would say I'll put my stamp of approval on as far as his prophetic thing. There are others that I've wondered about, that I've stored in the back of my mind. But David Wilkerson, to me, he has my seal of approval. Not that he needs it, not that my seal of approval means anything either. But for me, he's the only one that gets it. He had a vision back there in 1973, and almost all of it has happened already, from the fall of the bamboo curtain to uh, the Wall Street crash, things like that. When 9-11 happened, there were people writing him letters and saying, is this what you saw? Is this what you saw? And he said, no, what I saw was much worse. What are they talking about? He saw thousands of fires burning in New York City. And throughout major cities around the country, around the nation. He died, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. He was in a car accident. Um, but if you're not familiar with him, he had Times Square Church in downtown Manhattan. I went there once, and everybody I met had come off of the street, either being a prostitute, a drug dealer, a druggie, his life, his ministry, the proof was in the pudding, you might say. He, if you ever read Run Baby Run or heard of Nicky Cruz, uh, that gang member, it was David Wilkerson who went to these gangs and got these guys off of the street. Gang members that were coming in looking for Jesus, prostitutes, druggies that 
I mean, it's unbelievable, the fruit of his ministry. And all he did was preach the word, preached repentance. Uh, I would get his newsletter every month, and never once did I really find anything that I would disagree with. And to this day, you will hear him talking uh, from YouTube clips of his sermons, talking about the clowns in the pulpits today, entertaining the, the church, entertaining the congregation. Um, he, was, he was kind of a modern-day Spurgeon, you might say. Well, he saw an economic collapse, and it was not what happened at 9-11. And so I keep thinking about these things, and one of the things that is interesting to me that might fit more with the red horse is, uh, I was asking Logan about this and a couple other people if they had heard much, because I hadn't heard a lot about it, but about a month ago, there was a leaked audio recording from the Chinese about their uh, attack on Taiwan and the United States. I, don't, I didn't take the time to read all of the audio recording, the transcripts of it and all of that because I'm not going to go too far down that road. But what I'm saying is apparently they had talked a little bit about the four corners of the United States and, and I think there's threats of you know, talks of nuclear things. I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't read all of it, don't know. Regardless of timing or any of that, what I'm saying is I think there's a day coming when that is going to happen in the United States. I think that um, David Wilkerson's prophecy, I believe, will come true someday. And it would fit with the scriptures. What I, the question I want to pose to you before I move on is this. What will it take for you to change your lifestyle to prepare you know what is it going to take before you do something different in talking with another friend of mine he said people will not change their lifestyle until they're forced to and I thought it is so true but also so wrong we should be willing to change our lifestyle at the thread of it. I've been talking to my wife a lot lately this last week about that proverb out of the Bible where it says that the prudent man sees trouble and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. We knew and we know gas prices are still going to go up. So when do we say, all right, our trips to town are going to, you know, our vacation might have to get put off. Our uh, plan for this celebration is going to change or whatever. Or do we, like everybody else, have to wait until there are thousands of fires burning in New York City? And then we say, oh, now I have to change. Is there wisdom in seeing the handwriting on the wall and preparing? And I think that that is one of the values of the book of Revelation, is that we should always be prepared, even if none of this happens in our lifetime. We should live if it's going to, because that is wisdom. 
That is not getting caught up in this world, but rather being prepared. With that said, the hard part is to make sure that you are A, not in fear, and B, not in an independent mode, thinking that you can prepare, because you can't. I don't care if you have all the food in the world, all the guns in the world, all the security in the world. That will not save you. One of the things that David Wilkerson saw, and I don't remember how he saw it, but he talked about it, was the gold and silver. People would ask him, should I store up gold? Should I store up silver? Should I store up food? What should I do? His answer was, you need to be storing up in the kingdom of God. You need to repent and you need to get out and you need to be preaching the gospel. He said, your gold and silver will not save you. And by the way, that is in scripture. I can't remember what book, but in one of the prophets of the Old Testament, it says your gold and silver will not save you. I think that's a midrashic pattern of what it will be like in the book of Revelation. Your independence storing up and doing all that is not going to save you. This is all about the heart. It's the same thing with why so many people think that I am a cult leader. One of the reasons that that is so prevalent out there as far as people's ideas about who I am is because there is a difference between preparing and preparing. What's the difference? The mindset and the heart. There is a difference in obeying the Lord and obeying the Lord. When we have a heart for Jesus, he is magnified. And that's what I mean by you. obeying the Lord is different than obeying the Lord. One person can obey out of guilt and a feeling of obligation. And another person can do it because he simply loves God. And it makes him happy to make God happy. Two different things. One's right, one's wrong. Tithing. Isn't it funny? I was talking with Brent Turway this week, too, and we were talking about tithing, and he said, you know, can you imagine a church saying, oh, you're tithing out of obligation? Uh, don't give. Stop, please. Please. That's legalistic. We don't want you to tithe anymore. Right? Yet, if I say, you know, Mark here is trying to honor the Sabbath, the church almost across the board would say, Mark, that's legalistic. You don't need to do that. You need, you, no, go ahead, do what you want. Right? But nobody would say that about tithing. What's the difference? Well, really, there is no difference. What we tell people about tithing is, yeah, maybe it is kind of an obligation to you now, but you keep doing it eventually, it, it becomes a heart thing, right? How many times have we heard that? Well, why would that not be the same for any of the commandments of God? That let's go ahead and keep the Sabbath. Maybe you feel like it's an obligation, and, and frankly, that's wrong. It shouldn't be that you feel an obligation for it. But let me tell you, as you do that, you're going to, it's going to grow on you, and you're going to see the blessings of it. It's going to become a heart thing for you. 
And I think that's what I mean by getting our focus magnifying God is we need to follow his word. We can't just talk about Jesus loves you because part of the gospel is repentance. And sometimes I wonder as I go and I hear the gospel message here and there and everybody thinks that they're you know, doing a great job because I mentioned the word Jesus and I mentioned that we need to you know, call on Jesus and you'll, you will be saved and, and it's done. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying everybody's heard that for the most part. What they haven't heard is repent and follow Jesus. Follow means obey. And I truly believe, as we're going to see as we dive more into Revelation, I know I'm I'm giving you a lot of extra stuff here tonight beyond the verses that we're looking at, but I, I want you to have that foundation of understanding the lens to look at Revelation through. And you're going to see obedience connected to the gospel every time in the book of Revelation. Obedience matters. Does not save you. I get that. I never preached that. I would condemn anyone who did. But obedience, there are blessings in it, just like tithing. There are blessings in it. You know, Malachi says, test me in this and see. Test me in this. Obey God's commandments and see. See if the storehouse isn't opened and your understanding of his word. In other words, your understanding of who Jesus is. So that it's not obedience out of obligation, obedience out of works righteousness, but it's rather obedience out of love and a heart for him, and that's where you're going to find the blessings. In a sense, that's what the commandments are. Not to get you to heaven, but it is a test. Listen, if you say that you know God and you're not obeying him, you don't know God. You passed or you failed the test. So... As things fall apart more in this country, which maybe it's not end times, but I'm telling you this, every bit of me tells you this country is going down. There is no way this sinking ship can come back up. There's no way. I don't see any way it can happen without God bringing us completely down. So maybe we get knocked down and then there's another thousand years of, you know, life that moves on. But I'm telling you this, life as you know it is about to change. And you need to be prepared. And the way to prepare is to know God. That is the most important thing. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Study that word. Take the opportunity that you have to know Him, to understand His commandments, because in understanding His commandments, you understand Jesus. And it's just going to be giving you a peace. 30 years ago, I'd have been freaked out about this stuff. I can honestly say I have zero trepidation about any of this stuff. I am absolutely, I don't care what happens to it. I don't care if China would try and come in and conquer this month. I really don't care. It means nothing to me. 
As a matter of fact, I'd almost welcome it. I almost kind of cheer for it a little bit because I believe it would get people focused. Since they won't get ready unless they're forced to get ready, that would force them to get ready. I hope that you guys don't have to be forced to get ready. I hope that you are ready to be ready. Anyway, let's move on. Let me show you Leviticus 26, 26, these uh, understanding, the same kind of thing. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake bread, your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. These are many examples that I want you to see that as signs of judgment upon different countries, one of the things God did was similar to the black horse. He's going to take away their supply of food. And so let me tell you that if this country, we're going to be paying, you know, our, our food supply is cut off, it is a sign of judgment and one that we would deserve. Isaiah 3.1, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah uh, the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. My computer's doing weird things here. Lamentations 1.11, All her people sigh, they seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Revelation 6, 6, let's move on to another verse. Do not harm the oil and the wine. So we see bread is going to be expensive, but he says don't harm the oil and the wine. Historically, let me just tell you kind of one of the things that some of the preterists will point out. In 92 AD, uh, during the time of Domitian, the Roman emperor, he gave an edict to all of the people of the land to get rid of all the vineyards. They were supposed to tear them up so that they could plant grain instead. Well, the people had, would have nothing to do with it. That made them angry, and so they rebelled against this edict, and the wine then was not touched, even though there was a famine in the land. So, again, this has happened in history in a sense. But I think it could happen again. Now, does it have to happen that way? Not necessarily. One of the things I thought was interesting is this. With COVID, churches were shut down. Worship, you weren't allowed to worship. But hey, you could go get your abortions and go get some alcohol at the liquor store. That wasn't shut down. We're going to ration what you can get at the grocery stores. And the grocery stores are empty. But you could get your alcohol. Kind of interesting. So, I don't know what this means, but typically that's a thing. Is There's going to be plenty of oil and wine because people can't afford that. They need the necessities. Some people will waste their money on this other stuff. But there will be a plenty of it. And it will probably be cheap because, again, people need their money. I'm going to show you just a little bit tonight more on this Midrashic understanding of Scripture. Um, Matthew 2.15 is an interesting verse in the New Testament. It says, So was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. If you recall, this is when 
Jesus, as a baby, Joseph was warned in a dream to take baby Jesus to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill him. After that, Herod had died... He was told in a dream, and he came back, and it says, so was fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. And as you read this in Matthew, you think, oh, it was prophesied that Jesus was going to be called out of Egypt. But you go look at that very verse, Hosea 11.1, 1, in which this is a quote of, it does not say that. It says, uh, and out of Egypt, well, I'm sorry, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. And when you look there in Hosea, it's not talking about Jesus. It was talking about Israel and the Exodus and them being called out of Egypt. But it calls Israel his son. So if you would have just read that in Hosea, you'd have got it. You got, okay, well, God called Israel out of Egypt. He brought them out. And now you go and you read in Matthew, you'd say, well, that wasn't talking about Jesus. That was talking about Israel. But yet Matthew attributes it to Jesus. That is midrashic understanding of Scripture right there. Patterns for a final fulfillment. Let me show you exactly what Matthew is talking about here because... What was going on is that Jesus was living out what Israel was supposed to do, but failed to do. Where Israel failed, Jesus steps in and says, I'll do it for you. Sound familiar? Where we fail, which is in everything, Jesus steps in and he does it for you. You cannot keep the Sabbath perfectly. Guaranteed. Thank goodness Jesus did it for you. Does that mean that you don't try to keep the Sabbath? Heaven forbid, no. You should be trying to keep the Sabbath. But with the understanding, he did it for you. But now I am going to live as that same pattern out. So, give you some examples here. How was Israel born? Israel was born because he was a promised son. It was a miracle, even at birth. Remember Isaac? He, it was promised that you're going to have a son. So it was a child of promise. So was Jesus. Miraculously born, just as Isaac's wife, right? Mary. It was a miracle. Not identical, but midrashically exact. We see King David was from Jerusalem, or uh, Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like David. A pattern, a foreshadowing. Hosea 11.1, 1, again, shows Israel left Egypt to fulfill a promise. When you read the whole context, Matthew 2.13 shows Jesus left Egypt to fulfill the promise of a prophecy. Pharaoh tried to kill Israel when they were in Egypt. Herod was trying to kill Jesus. Moses became a savior for Israel. He, he rose up somebody to be a deliverer. Well, Jesus 
is the one that rises up to be that savior. As a matter of fact, even in Exodus, it said there will be one like Moses, but greater than Moses that would come. So Moses was a type. Israel, when they crossed the Red Sea, it was a type of baptism. That's exactly what I think 1 Corinthians 10 says. And this is right after they left. Jesus, right after he comes out of uh, Egypt, he grows up, I guess, but then he is baptized in the Jordan. Right after Israel's baptism, crossing the Red Sea, they go out into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, right after his baptism, he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by the devil. There in Matthew 4. So we see the same type of things. Other ones in Scripture would be Galatians 4, where you read the Old Testament and you read about Mount Sinai, you read about Hagar and Abraham and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac, and you think those are great stories to teach our Sunday school. Yes, they are, but they need to know there's a deeper truth to it because then Galatians 4 says, listen, these things represent two different covenants. You got Mount Sinai and Jerusalem, a child of the promise and a child of the flesh. And so these Old Testament events, true historical events, God allows to take place to foreshadow true historical events of the future. That is why we have a preterist view of the book of Revelation. Because God allows historical events to pattern what's going to happen in the future. Um, Pharaoh is a type of antichrist uh, who is going to be destroyed. We, when we went through the book of Esther, we saw a midrashic understanding of the whole book of Esther. Tremendous. Right? All of that. That is the way we need to look at this kind of stuff. Uh, I think, really, if you've ever read uh, my stuff on Exodus, my book on Exodus, the whole thing is a pattern of our spiritual life. The whole book of Exodus. Wait, what book do you have on <laughs> I think we've been through this before. It's online only. Okay, well, it's, it's on uh, the website or Patreon that you can read the book on Exodus. Verse by verse, just like the book of Genesis or Revelation. So Joshua then, we see that when they, like I said, we left off, they are baptized in the, the sea. They go out for 40 years. When they're done with that 40 years of wandering, what happens? They get to enter the promised land. Who leads them in to the promised land? Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, it's all the same name. We've talked about this before too, but Joshua is the name Jesus. Yahshua. This is the other reason, like I said, sometimes I like to use the word Yeshua because you understand. It, you get to see some of these things that just go right over your head otherwise. Yeshua is the same name, Joshua. And so, just as Joshua leads them into the promised land, Yeshua leads us into our promised land. 
Joshua was told to destroy the inhabitants to the, avoid the contamination and to uh, not have the diseases that the Egyptians had, all of those kind of things. Does Joshua do that? In part, yes, but he does fail. Kind of like all of us, God has given us commands to do, and we in part do that, but we fail miserably. And therefore, we need somebody to step in for us to complete the job properly. Does that mean Joshua just said, well, we're not going to do it right, so let's just uh, forget about it. We're going to just leave them all. No, he, he still fought. You should still fight. You still need to put your effort in to keep the commandments of God. So, since Joshua didn't clean out the land, we read in the New Testament when Yeshua comes into the land, what does he do? He casts out all the demons. Why were the demons there? Because Joshua didn't do what he was supposed to do. You see, he said, if you chase these people out, none of those things are going to be there. But since they didn't, the demons were still in the promised land. So Jesus comes and he begins casting them out, finishing the job. Israel died under the old covenant. But Israel is going to rise under the new covenant, right? That's what we see in Romans. It's what we are going to see here in Revelation later as well. Yet Yeshua, he died under the old covenant just like they did, but he rises under the new covenant. Now we've already, when we went through the book of Hebrews, talked about the difference of the old and the new covenant. It's not like, all right, this thing is completely gone. It is fulfilled. Just kind of like what we're seeing here, that Yeshua came into the promised land to you know, chase out the demons where we failed. In Exodus 15, 26, it said this, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought out on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Do you really believe that you can take God's promises to the bank? I do. Why do we have so many diseases today, do you suppose? Why do we have an ever-growing amount of mental uh, issues and all of our psychology books can't even keep up with the disorders? Why do we have guys thinking that they can claim to be women and women thinking they can claim to be men? Why do we have mothers claiming that it's my body, my choice? Because we haven't done our job. That's why. We have not kept his commands. We have not kept his decrees. And by the way, one of his commands was go and tell the people about him. Telling them to repent as well. So, again, this is just an example of Midrash. But Jesus teaches Israel truth. And then he left his Holy Spirit with us in the land to empower us to go out to all the nations. Go, therefore, to all nations. And now 
with his power to fulfill the purpose that he gave you. But as we know, our restoration is not yet complete. Israel's restoration is not yet complete. But we're supposed to still go out and do it. Verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by beasts of the earth. So, third seal was famine. Fourth seal, now we got this pale horse. Death and Hades follow. Well, that seems to pretty, be, pretty much be logical. You got the Antichrist going out to make war. The red horse comes with war. War brings famine. Famine and war brings death and Hades. Just pretty natural in the progression. Some have suggested, and I don't know, but that since death and Hades follow, that the only people affected by this are the ungodly. I don't know. It's a possibility. I can tell you this, that when many of the judgments came upon Egypt, it wasn't Israel that the judgment was coming upon. That God can supernaturally protect. And I do not want you to lose that, because I do believe that God is going to supernaturally protect many people, if he chooses Um, the King James says death and the word used here though in the, the Greek is actually plague again natural that plague in Hades are going to follow famines bring plagues uncleanliness all of those kinds of things but don't forget what I just showed you, that if you'll keep my commands, what was God going to do? I will not allow the diseases of the Egyptians to come upon you. I'm going to show you a verse here later, and maybe I should show you this right now. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Those who obey... Okay, don't forget that, who obey the commandments of God. This is in Revelation, this is future, so if you don't need to obey the commandments of God, then I don't know what this is talking about. The devil is going to go after those who obey the commandments of God. He doesn't care about those who don't obey the commandments of God because I don't think they're really believers. He already has them. Now, again, I think God is going to step in and help out. But we're seeing the same thing. Just what I told you here about in Exodus, this midrash. Listen, when I bring you into this land, and you're out there in those 40 years even, if you're going to obey and keep my decrees, you aren't going to have those diseases in this time of trial. I think 
that there is a very encouraging hope and promise in that for you, that if you guys are following God, obeying His commandments, not to be saved, but because you're saved, that there is going to be a divine protection over your home, over your household. Now again, I'm not saying it's a guarantee every person will do that. Christians are going to die. has to happen that way. This is why you're going to see here on the next seal that there are going to be those who are before the throne of God who have been beheaded for their testimony. But what I'm saying is, is that there's a good chance that you will have protection. Now, that doesn't mean you should be obeying so that you can be protected. Wrong motive again. You obey because you love God. But he's going to use you then. Well, notice here that this is a fourth of the earth. I'm going to show you in Ezekiel again how it's going to mention Jerusalem. But the same exact thing. I will send famine and wild beast against you, and they will leave you childless. Plague and bloodshed will sweep through you, and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So you've got famine, wild beasts, plague, sword. We read here in Ezekiel 14, How much worse it will be when I send against Jerusalem my four dreadful judgments, sword, famine, wild beast, and plague. The thing that's interesting about this is, in Ezekiel we see these are God's judgments. Are you going to be under God's judgment? No. Christ did that for you. I'm going to give you a verse in Thessalonians coming up that will say that very thing, that we are not under God's judgment. He sees Christ in you. Now, I know I could go down paths there, but just for now, for the purpose of what we're talking about, I'll leave it at that. Um, The word for pale here on this pale horse is the same Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word of leprosy. A sick green color. Um, Interestingly, we also see that this word for beast, it usually isn't used for the ordinary animal. But it's used for the extraordinary animal. Either like a large beast or microscopic beast a very tiny thing, which is interesting. The the idea of the disease and bacteria that would cause disease. With that said, I think that we can see, I've already talked about the white horse being the possibility, again, only the possibility, not saying, but that this corona could be the white horse or at least the power that is given to the white horse, the Antichrist. I want to show you some interesting things here going on in our society right now that could get worse. Here, debunking false stories. If you Google this, this is the kind of thing you're going to find. Post baselessly link sudden arrhythmic death syndrome to COVID-19 vaccines. So they're saying this, there's no basis for saying that a lot of people are dying because of the COVID-19 vaccines. I can't say they are either. 
All I can say is there's some interesting things going on. From 1980 to 2006, in the United States only, there were 1,866 athletes that either collapsed of cardiac arrest or died suddenly. 1,866 cases in 26 years. That's an average of 69 every year, which is quite a lot. But data compiled by the International Olympic Committee showed 1,101 sudden death in athletes between the ages 35 and I think it was 60-something, but my note got cut off here, um, between 1966 to 2004. That's an average of 29 sudden deaths across all sports for 38 years. Meanwhile, between March of 2021 and March of 2022, one year only, 769 athletes, young athletes, have either had cardiac arrest or died on the field. One year. So 769 versus 29. Something's happening. Um, and the UEU, which is primarily football, soccer, uh, they had, as far as the athletes that had sudden death, it increased by 420% in 2021 alone. Historically, five soccer players have died every year. And that went up 420%. 21 died just in 2021. Insurance from the Epic Times is where I got this. Fifth largest insurance company in the U.S. paid out 163% more for deaths of working people ages 18 to 64 in 2021. Total claim benefits are up $6 billion. To show you there in 2019, from Lincoln National, uh, which is a major insurance group, $500 million, it went up in 2020 to 548 or an increase of 9%. From 2020... To 2021, it went up 163%. Aren't COVID, not these people. That's the thing, is they're not. It has nothing to do with COVID. That's the, the line. And frankly, I can't tell you it is either. They're saying this is unrelated to COVID or vaccines. That's what the insurance companies are saying. So. Well. We have this increase in something called SAD, sudden adult death syndrome. You know how you had SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome? SADS, and you know, they don't know why. I have a theory. We can have theories, but we can't say what it is. They don't know. There's no record of that. There is nothing that will, that will show us that. So we, we cannot say what this is. We can only make some logical hypotheses, basically.
Um, part of the problem too, I, this is the payouts and, and kind of the average age and those kind of things that they try to figure in because you, you don't have all the information you need. But bottom line is you can see the increase here from 2020 to 2021. I will tell you this. And again, I'm not trying to freak people out. I'm not, I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody or anything like that. But I remember right when, the, when COVID came out, uh, I think it was after the vaccines came out, a doctor saying that within five years that people were going to start having these heart issues, that it wouldn't be immediate, but it would be later. Indiana Life Insurance, another separate company, CEO says deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. Young people. This is what he said. We are seeing right now the highest death rates we have seen in the history of this business, not just at One America. The data is consistent across every player in that business. The increase in deaths represent huge huge numbers and it's not elderly people who are dying but primarily working age people 18 to 64 who are the employees of companies that have uh, group life insurance plans through one america and what we just saw in a third quarter we're seeing it continue into fourth quarter is that death rates are up 40 percent over what they were pre-pandemic so things are happening I think it's possible we're going to see more and that we're just starting to see some of this. Now, once again, I have loved ones that have been vaccinated. Some of you here have been vaccinated. I'm not trying to freak you out. I don't think you need to be freaked out. This is again where we put our trust in the Lord and we say, God, I, I didn't know or just take care of me and I believe I don't care if it is a viper that comes out of the heat and grabs onto your arm it will do no harm when God wants it to do no harm and we have promises of that and so we live by faith not in fear the reason I am bringing this up is because one quarter of the earth is going to be affected by disease, sword, de you know, and death and Hades are following. A quarter of the earth. I remember reading Revelation and thinking, boy, when that happens, everybody will know. Not if it comes on slowly. Not if, slowly. Not if there's an explanation for it. I want to show you something. This just blew my mind when I did this a couple of years ago, and I just redid it again here with new numbers. Here's the United States population you can see here on the left. In 1973, in the box at the bottom, we had 215,000 people, you know, just a little over. Compared to today's 334 million people. In essence, you can just say one-third, if we would kill one-third of our world's population right now in the United States, it only takes me back to when I was born. 
or when I was a two-year-old. That's it. You know, I don't think the world was like that noticeably different. I mean, it was noticeably different, but you know what I'm saying. It, I don't think that's going to shock the world into saying, oh man, Revelation is correct. The one on the left, I just took it back for some of you older people here. 1951. 160 million people. Compared to today's 334. It's a little different on the top because this is live. And so from the time I got one to the other, it changed. So, It just kind of makes me realize, guys, when we read Revelation, when I read that, I'm seeing this like huge worldly event boom everybody's going to get it and now i'm starting to realize no these things take time and if you get rid of a third of the population over the next five ten years i don't think it's going to shake people i don't feel that that is enough for them to to be forced into changing their lifestyle yes and it is what they want there's no question about it but I'm looking at it from the perspective of, I don't even think that's going to shake people enough to say, okay, now I'm going to change my, I'm going to start seeking after God now. All I know, whether it's end times or not, it is satanic what is going on. And trying what it's done to the churches in some ways has been a blessing. And like I said last week with Roe v. Wade, covid I'm thankful for what it's done to the churches. It has made a divide, and it has split and separated sheep from the goats. There's a part of me that wonders that if it's just saying, all right, goats, you need to go over here. Sheep, you need to go over there because you need to be away from them. Because just like I did in, in Pharaoh's day, the Israelites were not affected. The Egyptians were. Now, one other thing, when it talks about a quarter of the earth here, in these verses that we're looking at in Revelation. It doesn't say technically, at least in my translations, that a quarter of the earth will die. But it's kind of alluded to. If you look then as well in advance, when you go to Revelation 9, verses 15 through 18, you're going to see that there's a third of the earth there that will die. So you add those up roughly about 50%, of the earth's population is supposed to die by the time of Revelation chapter 9, when 9 gets over. That still leaves 4 billion people on the earth, which doesn't take you back very far in history. Ezekiel 7, I'm going to try wrapping up here, seems to tell us where some of these things were going to happen, at least in the Old Testament aspects of it it said outside is the sword inside are plague and famine those in the country will die by the sword and those in the city will be devoured by famine and plague kind of logical there as well but those are the fourth uh, that completes the fourth seal now remember these patterns that are on your sheet if you have it and we'll be putting it up later again but the pattern of Revelation is 4-2-1 of these sevens. We've now seen four seals. That means we can expect to see a change in theme 
for the next two seals. Four, two. The next two are going to have a completely different theme than horses. We're done with the horses. And that's going to help you kind of have a, an understanding of the book of Revelation here when we're done. And so that's why I keep bringing this up because I want you to see the big picture, a general timeline before we even see like what the preterists teach and whatnot. But nonetheless, um, that completes the, the fourth horseman or the fourth seal. So hopefully tonight what you take out of this is no fear, but also a renewed excitement. You're going to see when we get into the next seal, the very first thing that the uh, people that have been killed are saying is, How long, O oh Lord? How long? In other words, they're looking forward to it. How long until you come and avenge our blood, Lord? Come on, how long? We should have that same attitude. Come on, Lord, how long? I mean, it's time, isn't it? Put an end to this. But I'm seeing a separation. I know godly people will die, but I do see a separation, and you will see next week. You are not under God's judgment. If you die, it's not going to be because of God's wrath. It's going to be because of man's wrath, the, the devil's. But it will be for a purpose and for good, and he will be there for you. But I also see that separation that God is making for those who follow God's commandments, keep his decrees, and those who do not. There is no question that is throughout the entire book of Revelation. But again, if you're doing it, to get out of trouble, it's the wrong motivation. And you still got to keep searching the scriptures because you're not there yet. You haven't figured it out yet. Not until you are obeying from the heart. And it's because you truly desire to do this for no other reason than you find peace and joy giving God that it pleases him. Then you have arrived when it comes to this topic. If you're feeling fear about this stuff, you haven't gotten there yet, keep studying because you don't quite get it yet. It's part of the process. It's okay. It's okay to have those feelings. But don't stay there and certainly don't tuck it away and avoid it so that you don't have to think about it. Because that will not get you to the end game. You have to face it. You have to go head on. You have to dive in. You have to seek God in prayer. You have to be going after it. And then he is going to give you that peace. And I know many of you here have that peace already. But I know many listening don't. And I'm telling you, you can have it. But you got to die to self first. And I'll leave it at that. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time again. Thank you for your word and your promises. Thank you for filling in and doing what we have been incapable of doing. That you have accomplished all for us. God, I pray for every one of us here who may have fear or legalism that has crept into our lives that it would be removed, that you would just teach us your ways 
so that we may know you and continue to find favor with you and nothing other than that. So show us yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself to us in all of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.